This morning we'll be looking into the book of Job. That's where we're going to be looking. The book of Job just before Psalms, right? But it'll be a little bit before we get to it. I think we'll be in like, uh, hi. Hi. Nice to see you. Yes. Into uh, chapter 38, somewhere in that area there when we get going. So is there any comfort when there are no answers? Now I'd like to point out that the deepest comforts you will ever receive come to you from the hand of God and are not attached to answers. But how is there any comfort when there are no answers? And I think each of us has experienced personal tragedies. And I can remember going through very deep tragedy in our family, let us see, what, 35 years ago now when my young, younger brother lost his son in a car accident. Still vivid in our mind, and that was on a graduation night. And two years previous to that, and he only lived about a mile from us, and two years before that, my cousin lived next door. He was killed in a car accident on graduation night. But there was no drinking involved in either driver, because they were both driving, but uh, just lack of experiences, they're only 17. The first one, my cousin went off the road, off the shoulder and tried to bring the car back and flipped it over, and he was the only one killed. There was five of them in the car. And Sean, when he was driving, he didn't even have a license, but they were at the drive-in and the others were drinking, and he wanted to drive, so he drove them home, and he was a couple miles from home, sharp turn, car flipped over, he was the only one killed. Another one broke an arm or something like that, but there was nothing there. But there was alcohol involved in that, but not with him. And that's why he wanted, he wanted to drive so bad. He's 17. But his dad said, no, you're not ready yet. So he kicked himself after that for not allowing him to learn to drive, right? And as a result, what happens so often, they split up because they couldn't handle it. Each one handled it in their own way, and they just couldn't get along, and they parted as friends. But that's what happens in a lot of cases when they lose a child. The families divide. But anyways, he's gone now, and he's with the Lord, and two, so they're together. Yeah. Anyways, I didn't want to get off on that there, but that's every time graduation night comes, that's what you think of, right? Now, if you've gone through tragedies which you do not know the answers, you may be aware that people come and provide an array of what appears to them to be comfort. But oftentimes, what they say is really no comfort at all. You listen to the comfort that they provide, but you find out that when you are alone sitting in your living room after they have all gone, you still wonder if there's any comfort or anybody in the universe to provide it. And what people sometimes say at the moment of tragedy is more wish fulfillment than reality. When there are no answers, is there any comfort? Now to help us answer that question, I'd like to, you to turn your attention to the book of Job. And Job shares with us some insights he gained on the anvil of experience. And the storyline in the book of Job is simple. Job was a, a very prosperous man. He had enormous wealth. 
uh, through a series of tragedies over which he had no control, he lost not only his wealth and property, but also all of his sons and daughters and all of his livestock. And in the midst of that tragedy, he was struck by a gruesome, terrible illness that left him sitting in a heap of ashes, wondering why all of it had happened. And to make matters worse, Job had three uncomforting friends who came to offer him comfort. And they basically said that the reason this tragedy had come upon Job was that he had dishonored God and become the object of his wrath. Now that's a lot of comfort, isn't it? Somebody to tell you something like that. And as he sits with sores all over his body and tears on his face for lost sons and daughters and property, he has to listen to three thoughtless, ignorant friends. And people who lack insight and perspective are always ready to offer what they perceive to be infallible and impeccable revelations. And Job answers his three friends. One of his answers is correct, but two are wrong. It is because of his wrong answers that God finally speaks to him. <clears throat> But Job was right when he said to his friends that it wasn't personal sin that caused his tragedy. You see, their basic opinion was that tragedies come upon us from God as a punishment for something that we have done. And Job replies to his three, three friends correctly by saying to them, Look, I've done nothing wrong. I'm innocent. I'm a righteous man but I have lost my sons, my daughters, and all my wealth. They were wrong. Job was a righteous man. However, in the midst of his suffering, which was very real and terrifying, he did say two things that were wrong. He said that God must be an uncaring God. He must not understand he must not really be kind or care for people because he let these things happen. Not only that, Job also said what had happened to him was evidence that God was not in control of his universe. Job accuses God of two things. And he says to him, you don't really care for me. And even if you do, you are not able to care for me. Those are the two charges that I think every one of us in the midst of our suffering raises against God. Oh, we may not do it loudly, but we whisper it in our subconscious in order to find comfort. God, do you really understand my sorrow? Do you really know? Do you really care? And then as the temperature gets hotter, we often say to God, are you really in control at all? And Job goes on to say that he wishes that he had never been conceived. And furthermore, he wishes since he had been conceived that he had died in childbirth. But God <clears throat> has granted neither wish. And so he wishes that God would at least take his life in his present circumstance. In Job chapter 31, verse 35, he says this. 
Oh, that I had one to hear me. Let the Almighty answer me. In the midst of his suffering, uh, he cries out to God. He raises the question that you and I have raised repeatedly in the tragedies of our experience. It is the question that makes us shudder when our children ask it. The question, why? Three times in this book, Job says to God, answer me. Tell me, I want to know why. And beginning in chapter 38, God does answer him. <clears throat> and what is found in Job chapters 38 to 42 is the longest discourse in the Bible in which God speaks. And finally, God says he will offer some answers to Job's questions. Job has said to God, because I sit here in these ashes, because my children are only a fond memory, because I have lost everything I possessed, God, you must not care for me. But if you do care for me, you are incompetent to provide for me. So in chapters 38 to 42, God speaks to Job. Now what is amazing about this is that God speaks to Job out of a whirlwind. Now in the Bible, the storm is often the occasion in which God reveals himself to us. It's like the storm that brought ruin to Job and destroyed his family. This time, through a similar whirlwind, God brings not ruin, but revelation, not tragedy, but disclosure. And the amazing thing about what God says is how he says it. God raises 70 questions. And with those 70 questions, he says to Job, Job, how deep is your understanding of things? How much do you really know, Job? Now, there are two discourses here. One begins in chapter 38, verse 4, and continues through chapter 39. And in this discourse, God is answering Job's charge that God is unkind. And Job has said, because God has treated me this way, he is unsympathetic. He lacks the real understanding of me. Now, haven't you ever said that in the quietness of your heart? When the whirlwind of tragedy has blown through your life and your family? God, I know you are there, but I don't think you're listening. I don't think you care. I don't think you really understand. And then out of the whirlwind, God speaks. And notice what he says, beginning in verse 4 of chapter 38. He raises a multitude of questions. And with them, he says to Job, Job, how much do you know about how much I care? How much do you know about my wisdom? How much do you know about the way I order the universe? Notice that there are no answers. There are only questions. And God picks things out of nature and asks Job what he knows about them. He says, Job, you accuse me of not caring. But what do you know about the animals? Do you care for them, Job, like I do? Look at verse 4 and 38. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, Job, if you have understanding. Where we read verse 8. Who enclosed the sea with the doors? 
In the Bible, the sea is always the symbol of chaos and disorderliness. God has tamed the seas and he has made the earth. In verse 12, God asks, have you ever in your life commanded that is given orders to the morning? Have you ever gotten up early in the morning and went outside to watch the sunrise when it's not raining? (laughs) And as it comes up over the horizon, a cool morning becomes a warm morning. This is God's gift to us every day. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning, Job? Just how intelligent are you? Job also accuses God of a lack of kindness. In verses 16 and 17, God asks, Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? How much do you know, Job? And later he asks in verse 28, Does the rain have a father? Who gave birth to the dewdrops? And verse 29, from whose womb came the ice? And who has given birth to the frost of the air? God is saying, think, Job. You are accusing me of being uncaring. You are accusing me of not understanding, of being unsympathetic. But I have made the world the depth of which you will never understand. It's running in perfect order and symmetry. That's how much I love it, Job. Then God turns to animals. And this is one of the most beautiful passages in all the Bible. If you ever doubt the care of God, if you ever have doubt his, his sympathy, if you ever doubt it, read these verses. In chapter 39, beginning at verse 1, he says... Do you know the time when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch the deer when they are in labor? Can you count the months they are pregnant or know the time when they'll give birth? Verse 9, will the wild ox agree to serve you? It will serve God. Verse 19, can you give strength to a horse or clothe his neck with a mane? Verse 26, Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars, stretching his wings toward the south? Verse 27. Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? Now I can feel for Job when he makes his first accusation. I've been in pain. I've had physical pain and still do. But the greatest pain in all my life has been the suffering of emotional pain. I've been there. I've been there when the darkness is the darkest. And unfortunately, I have said to God in my smaller thoughts, God, you must not care because if you really cared and loved me like the Bible says you do, you would never have allowed this to happen to me. That's Job's first accusation. But what God is saying to Job by raising all of these questions is this. I am a God of infinite care and love and concern for my creation. If I am concerned when the goats give birth, if I am concerned that the sun rise every morning, isn't it reasonable, Job, that what you're accusing me of is a lie? 
The second discourse begins in chapter 40 at verse 6. God again speaks out of a storm, a symbol of God's awesome presence. And here from chapter 40, verse 6 through chapter 42, God is answering the second accusation brought by Job against him. It is that God is unable to control the universe that he made. That it is out of his hands. That God is weak. At best, he is inept. And at worst, he is incompetent and has no power to rule. To answer this charge, God speaks about two animals. And both of these animals are associated with life in the waters. The sea is a symbol of chaos and also a symbol of evil. And these big animals are symbols of the chaos of life. And God is saying, if I can control those animals, then the world is not chaotic. When the pharaohs of Egypt were crowned, they symbolically slew two animals, a hippopotamus and a crocodile. The behemoth in chapter 40 is the hippopotamus. Now Leviathan in chapter 41 is the crocodile. Those Egyptian pharaohs were showing in symbolic form that when they came to rule in Egypt, they would dominate over chaos. God is saying that he is in control. These are large animals. A full-grown hippopotamus or behemoth weighs up to four tons and can be 13 feet long and five feet tall. That would fill my living room. He lives in the water. He is an uncontrollable beast. Man cannot tame him. And notice verse 15 in chapter 40, God says, Behold now, behemoth, hippopotamus, which I made as well as you, Job. And verses 23 and 24, if a river rages, he is not alarmed. That's the hippopotamus. He is confident even when the Jordan rushes against his mouth. Can anyone capture him when he is on watch or pierce his nose with snares? God is saying, I control the hippopotamus. He is within my clutches. Evil is not random. Things do not happen by mistake. And to make the metaphor even stronger, in chapter 41, he takes up the Leviathan. A Leviathan is the great Egyptian crocodile. And God says in verse 1 of chapter 41, Can you pull Leviathan out of the water with a fish hook or tie its tongue down with a rope? And in verses 10 and 11, God says, no one is so brave that he dares to arouse him. Who can confront me that I should repay him? Everything under heaven, God says, belongs to me. And the Lord's point is this. Since I made the behemoth and the Leviathan and you, Job, and you cannot even control these creatures, how dare you think of usurping my place? Job makes two accusations of God in the midst of his suffering. He says, God, you do not care for me. If you did care for me, the tragedy that has overtaken me would never have occurred. Disappointment, pain, and mental adversity 
are alien from the loving care of God. And then Job says, if you do care for me, you cannot control the universe that you have made. You are incompetent and inept. And then after each of God's answering discourses, Job makes a reply. And for his first one, look at chapter 40, verses 3 and 4. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I am so insignificant. How can I answer you? I will put my hand over my mouth. Job is saying, I have no right to accuse you of not caring because you have made nature. You control nature and you provide for all the animals of nature. And if you provide for them, simple, finite creatures, how much more you care and for and love me. And the second discourse brings a second response found in chapter 42 at verse 6. After the first discourse, Job was humiliated. After the second discourse, Job repents. And therefore, he said, I retract, I take back what I say. I don't care because I know you care, God. I am sorry for saying that things are out of control because you are in control. But the point to be made is this. Job had a terrific change of mind. But did God give him any answers? No. God gave no answers. But he overwhelmed Job with the knowledge of his presence. Is there any comfort when there are no answers? And most of life is spent in this fear. And my reply is, there is comfort. And that comfort comes from a reliance on the revealed character of God. God has revealed himself truly to us, but he has not revealed himself completely. God has called us to a confident faith that is real faith. We're living in the 21st century, which has elevated and perhaps perverted the parental character of God. We have forgotten his awesome transcendence. Not only does God love us, but he is also above us and controls all of life's circumstances. No wonder worship is sometimes sterile and dry when we think that God is the sum of our arguments and the sum of our finite knowledge. There are no real explanations here. There is no justification here. All we have is an overwhelming of Job by the revelation of God's ways. When you go through the tragedies and struggles in your life, and there are no answers. When you are sitting all alone or lying awake in the darkest of hours, I trust that in the darkness of those moments that you will discover, as I have discovered, the greatest comfort that can ever be given to a human being. That comfort is not the knowledge that everything will be all right, but a knowledge that everything is under God's control. It is a knowledge that we have a God 
who was infinite in his mercies and in his kindness. What comforts me is not the answers because there are none. What comforts me is the character of God. I realize that God cares for me. He cares for the goats, he cares for the deer, and he cares for me. This world is not chaotic. He controls the behemoth. He controls the Leviathan. He controls all chaos. He is infinite God, and I am finite man. So I can turn off the lights and go to bed and rest, not in my own knowledge, but in confidence in the very character of God. And I say to each of you this morning that you may go through awful tragedies and struggles in life. And when your friends go home, their wish fulfillment stated and you are left all alone. What is the source of your comfort? My answer is that the source is not in knowledge, but in the character of God. He is good. He is infinite. He is full of mercy. There's a gospel song that says, when darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. Is there any comfort when there are no answers? The deepest comforts do not come from answers. They come from knowing God. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this book of Job. We thank you, Father, that in times of tragedy and struggles of life that we go through, when there are no answers, that we know that you are in control. We know that you are there. Even in our darkest moments, when we cry out against you, Lord, you are there. And thank you for this passage of scripture, Lord, where shows where Job, when he was suffering and going through the tragedies of his life, that he finally realized who and what you are, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that you care for your creation, you love your creation, and you love each and every one of us here this morning. And we thank you that for that, God. And when trials and troubles do come, we pray that each one will reach out to you and know that there is comfort in you, that you are in control, and no matter what happens, you are there for us. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.